This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granillo. We've been talking a lot these days about what children cannot do during the pandemic, but let's focus today on what our kids can and should do if they're still playing sports. The things that they can do are small groups of five or less that are physically distanced where all the young players keep their spacing. They should never be face-to-face. They should use meticulous hand hygiene before and after they get on the field. That's Dr. Jonathan Dresner. He's the Seahawks team doctor and the director for UW Medicine for Sports Cardiology. He says if your child is working with a team or a group, just make sure they have a clear COVID procedure and plan in place. I think the questions that I would ask of the club is, you know, what's your plan? Do you, do you have this sort of safety plan in place? Have you thought about all of this from start to finish? And, and what does the training program look like as well? Dr. Dresner says young athletes should also try to maintain more than six feet of distance. The six feet distance is really when you're talking to someone at rest. We know this virus, if someone coughs, sneezes, sings, breathes heavily from exercise, that virus can go farther, probably 10, 12 feet. So we need to keep even further on the playing field if people don't have masks on. And as for parents, Dr. Dresner suggests performing a self-check on your child to make sure they have no symptoms and... No more picking up a friend on the way to practice. We're not recommending kids are in, in carpools. If you if you can get your kid there um, alone and you know just with your your household, I, that is obviously the safest. Also, when you get to the field, the gym. Don't stack your bags in a pile. Place them as far apart as possible. Also, coaches should have hand sanitizer to use between drills and. Don't share liquids. Yes, that's very important. Another recommendation, don't hang around to chat during or after practice. I think that's going to be most tough, though, uh, not on the athletes, but the parents. I know when I was playing sports, my dad wasn't much of a yeller or anything like that during the games. But I know a lot of parents out there can get pretty passionate uh, during games. They might be you know, yelling, bad call, ump. Uh, Actually, my dad was the umpire, so. Yeah, uh, well, of course, a lot of us used our kids as a way to make new friends. Right. We had that in common (laughs) with other parents. So chatting with your your peers is part of the fun of having children. (laughs) It's so hard to find friends as an adult, I'm finding already. And I've been looking so forward to putting my daughter into team sports. She's only two and a half right now, so she's still a little young, but... I'm kind of banking on when she starts playing sports, I'll finally make some new friends. I think you will. That's what It wasn't so much sport. Well, it was soccer in grade school is a great way to meet other parents. But um, for most of us, most of our kids' uh, tender years, it was uh, choruses, right? Singing, yeah. performance, things like that. You'll make friends. Don't worry, Aaron. Okay. Even during COVID? Even, even during COVID. <laughs> People without COVID-19 symptoms do not need to get tested, even if they've been recently exposed to the virus. That is according to updated guidelines issued this week by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Many of the country's infectious disease experts are questioning this revision. They say that any attempt right now to reduce levels of testing is a step in the wrong direction. But the latest recommendations, which were posted Monday, say that people who've been in close contact with an infected individual, quote, do not necessarily need a test if they do not show symptoms. Now, there are exceptions to this. The agency says asymptomatic individuals should still get checked out if they're in vulnerable populations 
or if healthcare providers and local public health officials recommend testing. This new guidance comes even though the CDC's own estimates show roughly 40% of people infected with the virus may never go on to develop symptoms. Seems like kind of a strange and unnecessary step backward. Any thoughts on this, Dave? Well, I know the immediate implication is that President Trump ordered this in order to cut down on the number of tests and therefore cut down on the number of positive results. Uh, I don't know. Lately, he's been bragging about the number of tests, so I don't know why he'd be motivated to do this. I went back and looked at the original rule, and they did not play it up in the official CDC release. It seemed like a relatively minor change. All the other testing recommendations are there, including if you uh, if you suspect symptoms. If you are in a vulnerable category, you should still get tested. Um, of course, if you work with uh, with children, if you are a, a health care provider, you have to get tested. So this seems to be going back to... I think the way most of us have been approaching it, if we don't feel sick and we haven't recently socialized with a group of unmasked people, then there's no need to get tested. There was some speculation that the CDC did this because we still don't have enough tests being administered around the country. That's not what I hear, though. Right. I mean, this is what the Health and Human Services Department uh, is telling us, too. I mean, this is a quote from the New York Times article, but they're saying that testing capacity has massively expanded. We are not utilizing the full capacity that we have developed. I guess my main thought on all of this, though, is it's it's kind of ironic because the the 40% number about people who are asymptomatic is only an estimate right now. The only way we know truly how many people are asymptomatic from this virus is if they get tested in the first place, right? So if the recommendation is uh, that they don't get tested, then we're never going to really have a true data point on on that aspect of tracking the virus. Well, also, this is a recommendation. You don't have to follow it. You can go get tested whether you have symptoms or not. They're not not in every location, but there are some locations they're happy to take anyone because... They uh, have plenty of capacity, and they get reimbursed. I mean, that's how they make money. Some 20,000 unemployed workers in Washington state are still waiting to hear if they qualify for unemployment. This even a month after the State Employment Security Department declared it cleared a backlog of claims. Kyber Radio's Nicole Jennings has been following this story closely. She joins us now. And Nicole, you've been speaking with several of these people who file jobless claims, and some of them say they first applied back in the springtime. Yes. In fact, I made a Facebook post in a group that's specifically for unemployed people waiting on benefits. And I got hundreds of comments from people saying, you know, employment security was lying, saying that they have been waiting several months since March, April, May, still have not heard a word or their claims are just pending, pending, pending every week. In response from employment security, you know, I'm hearing that they said, well, not everybody who filed in the spring fit into the first operation 100 percent, you know, the initial backlog that they said was cleared. They said some of those people had problems with their claims, so they would still be waiting. They would still be in adjudication. And so I asked, okay, well, how many of the people, the 20,000 who were still waiting, how many of those people filed back in March or April? And employment security said they don't know. What are these people telling you? What have you heard from them? 
you know, imagine going without an income for 16, 20, 24 weeks. I mean, you know, these people have been, some of them have been trying to survive now for five months, almost, I guess, almost six months now Mm -hmm. when we hit September uh, without an income. And they're having to resort to really desperate measures. You know, I've talked to some people who say that they're having to sell off items from around their home. Here's one family in eastern Washington. We were about two months out of no income. We didn't have a whole lot more than that saved up. And then so over a period of time, we sold everything, a boat and a trailer and extra cars. Other people, I've talked to young people who said they have have had to move back in with their parents. One woman about my age says that she had to uh, start couch surfing with Mm. friends. She had to give her apartment up. I was calling every day. You often sit for hours on the phone. Sometimes you get blocked off and then I have to keep looking for housing. I'm lucky right now I'm staying with a friend. Um, Otherwise, I'd be homeless. Okay, I know you've been on top of the Employment Security Department for several weeks now. What's their message to these people? Is it just keep nagging them? Yeah, they say, you know, just to keep calling and to stay patient, that they're getting it all sorted out. Um, They did say that they've got, you know, out of all the claims total that they've received, it's only one and a half percent who are, you know, still waiting. Mm. So they have really been chipping away at that backlog. But, you know, it's still 20,000 people to the 20,000 people. That's small comfort that they're part of one and a half percent. Um, I talked to Employment Security two weeks ago. At that point, there were 30,000 people waiting. Mm. This is uh, Nick Damaris from Employment Security. As of last week, that number was around 30,000. You know, it will continue to be somewhere in there as we sort of always have people who are in adjudication or have an issue that needs to be resolved on their claim. You know, there will never be zero people waiting. They also say, of course, their their hearts are impacted by these stories. I mean, and, and they're trying as hard as they can to chip away at that backlog and to get people the answers they want, you know, that that, that they want to help people very much. And, you know, they brought they brought in the National Guard. Yeah. They've hired extra people. They've had people working overtime on weekends and such. So they, they really are trying to help people, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't meant to just rag on ESD by any means. This is an unprecedented time. This is the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression. So we know they're mm-hmm. they're overloaded, of course. Yeah. Um, at the same time, ESD did announce a couple months ago that this fraud ring out of Nigeria scammed the state, what was it, at least $550 million? Yeah. So the state said after that that it would need to add some of these layers of protection to ensure jobless claims were legit. How much did that play into all of these delays that we're seeing today. Well, definitely that's impacted it because a lot of the people, you know, have been denied or have run into this adjudication process because there was an ID issue with their claim. And so, you know, what's happening is that regular people who are, you know, honest, probably for the most Mm -hmm. vast majority of them honest and trying to get unemployment, if you make one little mistake or there's something that's at all, you know, a little bit fishy about your claim, you're immediately going to be suspect now. Cairo Radio's Nicole Jennings, uh, you've done some great reporting on this, and I know you'll you'll keep up on it. Thank you so much. Thank you. We will be back tomorrow and every day after with a 10-minute rundown of the daily local news. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can also find our news coverage on MyNorthwest.com or listen live at 97.3 FM.